From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Touring music of the masters, as well as exciting original works from visionary composers of our time, the Fry Street Quartet has perfected what the Strad calls, quote, a blend of technical precision and scorching spontaneity. The quartet has reached audiences from Carnegie Hall to London, from Sarajevo to Jerusalem, exploring the medium of the string quartet and its life-affirming potential with what the Deseret News called profound understanding, depth of expression, and stunning technical astuteness. The quartet is joined in studio today by a couple of very special guests, acclaimed violist Roger Chase, who once said, I was very bad at being told how to play, I wanted to find out for myself, a philosophy that's truly put him in good stead on stages and in classrooms all over the world as an inspiring performer and teacher. Also with us is pianist Michiko Otaki, having traveled from Clayton University near Atlanta, which is home base for a career that has seen extensive travels throughout the U.S., Europe, and other places, And they've all come together to make music for a series of concerts here in Utah. We're thrilled they could join us here on Highway 89, an hour we'll spend enjoying remarkable performances and some rich conversation. Let's begin with music, Roger Chase and Michiko Otaki, with Sonata for Viola and Piano by Arnold Bax. Live in studio, we'll hear the first movement on Highway 89. Thank you. 
We've just heard Arnold Back's Sonata for Viola and Piano. We've heard the first movement performed by Roger Chase with Michiko Otaki, pianist. Beautiful music. We're going to speak with Roger in just a minute. Rebecca McFall, welcome back. Thank you. It's nice to have the Freistree Quartet back. And if I remember from last time, you took your name from... A rehearsal address. That's true. That's true. Fry Street. Well, turns out there are Fry Streets all over the country, but the one that we're referring to. So everyone thinks you're from their hometown. <laughs> yeah, that works out. <laughs> the one that we're referring to is one block north of Chicago Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. And truth is, we needed a name in a hurry, and that's where we rehearsed. And it's stuck. There have been worse names. I like this one. I like this one. Will you introduce us to all the players we're hearing from today? Yes. Well, I'll begin with the quartet. On first violin, you'll be hearing Robert Waters. I'm playing second violin in the quartet. Bradley Otteson is the violist in the quartet, and Anne Francis Bayliss is the cellist in the quartet. And you just heard the wonderful Roger Chase on viola and Michiko Otaki on piano. Tell me about this collaboration. So you're, you're already sharing the stage with four people. <laughs> Bring on two more. Why not? Well, Roger and Robert have an old and wonderful friendship. And so I think the, the connection first lies there. And also, Roger is a guest of the Utah Viola Society, of which Bradley Otteson is president. So it's, um, it's a combination of connections that are bringing this together and, and um, for events both at Utah State and here at BYU. And we are so glad to have you in studio today. I just spoke with Rebecca McFall, a violinist from the Fry Street Quartet. Roger Chase, one of our guests today, thinking about that last piece by Bax. That seems to flow so smoothly. And is that because he's a good writer for strings or you're just a really good violist? He was a... <laughs> I, that's an impossible question, maybe. For... He was... He was taught how to write for the viola by Lionel Tettis, mm. who was the great-grandfather, English grandfather of all viola players, way back at the end of the 1800s and into the early part of the 1900s. So Bax was taught how to write fabulously for the viola. So in that sense, yeah, he, he not only knew how to write a wonderful melody, but he knew how to write it for that instrument. Is that a joy for you to pick up a piece of music like that? Yes, yes. And- as as Tettis said, once um, speaking about some modern composers, he said, is it written for the viola or against the viola? (laughs) (laughs) And this one is very much written for the viola. You, as you mentioned with violas, you have a connection to Mr. Turtis. Can you explain that to me? Yes, that's right. Well, my my first teacher when I was 11 years old was a man called Bernard Shaw, who was Turtis's favorite student. Bernard being an incredibly generous and wise man of mature years when I met him when I was 11, he very kindly took me along to see the old man as he referred to uh, Lionel Tertis. Took me to see Lionel Tertis so I could have some lessons with him as well. So when I was 13, I would go along there several times and Tertis would have been 93. So that was an extremely formative experience, but also a tribute to the generosity of my own teacher, Bernard, as well. This is something string players talk about that I don't think it's maybe a trade secret, that there is a lineage in the pedagogy that you feel an influence from the people who've taught the people who taught you. I think there are probably other areas of life where this applies, but certainly in music, I think our oral history is about all we have to keep us connected with the past we play a lot of music as we are going to in this program of people who are no longer with us but we believe very much that their contribution is if not universal and as good as universal you know they are for us the pillars of our civilization our connection with the people who knew or were very close to knowing those composers i think for most of us is absolutely fundamentally important and that means the same the same notion for the teachers as well if you happen to be working with somebody who knew Isai, for example, then you have a direct, the violinist Isai, then you have a direct connection back to the style of playing, to the meaning of that music as it came from the composer. Um, and that is priceless because we can lose it very, very easily. And you could argue we, we, we replace it with something which perhaps is more contemporary and valid for our times, but we believe that what was valid then is still valid for our times and possibly more so. 
Roger Chase, one of our guests today, violas, we'll be hearing more from him in just a minute. The other violinist from the Fry Street Quartet, uh, Robert Waters, what is your connection with Mr. Chase? How did you meet? Well, both Roger and I used to live in Chicago um, a while ago and came to know each other through chamber music and played quite a bit of chamber music together in um, Chicago. Once we discovered how much we enjoyed playing together, I think we also enjoyed speaking together and just became quite good, good friends. Well, introduce us to this next piece, a duet that we get to hear the two of you play. Yes, Alessandro Rolla is a, a composer who's, who wrote quite a bit for the viola and violin, but he is also very, very well known for having been Paganini's teacher, Niccolo Paganini, who was the great 19th century Italian violin virtuoso who completely revolutionized violin playing for the rest of the century and onwards. And Alessandro Rolla taught him both violin and also composition. And so you'll hear kind of the prototype to Paganini. There's a lot of technical fireworks here. There's also a lot of Italian charm, and it's really a pretty delightful piece. To me, when I, I listen to this, the very opening is almost like two friends telling a joke and laughing back and forth. That's an excellent description, yes. <laughs> Let's hear this piece by Alessandro Rolla, the duo concertante for violin and viola. We'll hear the first movement performed now by Roger Chase, viola, and Robert Waters from Fry Street Quartet Violin.
just heard a very jaunty duet, the duo concertante for violin viola, the first movement of the work by Alessandro Rolla, Roger Chase violist, and Robert Waters violinist. Speaking now with the accompanist from the very first number that we heard, Michiko Otaki, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You often work with other artists because you accompany. Yes. And I'm wondering, even though they may be really good, and you are obviously really good, when you get together, you have to work out differences in taste or tempo, all of that. How do you do that? Oh, goodness. I never thought of it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> or you just do it naturally. I somehow. just do it, and it gets... That first time is always a little awkward, but it takes not that long to get to know them. And, of course, the longer you work with them, the better. And it does take a long time for two or three or four people to really, really start to to make music together in a true manner. It was fun today to kind of look over your shoulder because if someone was going to get paid by the note, you'd be you'd be walking out of here with bags of gold. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> Tell me about your beginnings. Did you always know that you wanted to be in a collaborative performance? I always liked. To be was to, yes, I, I guess that short answer is yes. I find solo piano to be not all that interesting. Not that the music is not interesting, but uh, doing it myself is okay, but making it happen with somebody else is better. We are delighted. It's a privilege that we got to hear you. And this may be embarrassing, but just in Googling your name, we came across a thing called Rate My Professor. Oh, no. <laughs> that university teachers no. maybe all know about and live in fear and trembling of. Never oh. fear. This is very sweet. This is so sweet we had to read it. So this is a place where college students can go on and rate their professor, I think anonymously. She is the kindest professor on this whole campus. We all work very hard to make her proud. Oh, <laughs> That was just so good, I thought we have to include that. <laughs> well, thank you. I know of that website, but I, I never looked myself up. <laughs> well, do it quick because you've got good stuff there right now. I don't know what, what the past or the future will bring, no promises. <laughs> okay, thank you. Michiko Otaki, thank you so much. What a privilege to hear from you. The cellist from the Fry Street Quartet and, with an E, Francis Bayless. <laughs> you've been involved besides just getting together and playing music with some very exciting collaborations like this we're doing today and outreach projects. Tell me a little bit about the Crossroads Project and also your Chamber Music Festival. Oh, yeah. The, well, the Crossroads Project first, um, this is a collaboration with a physicist who is a dear friend of the quartet, and he speaks often on the topic of global sustainability. And gosh, already it's been... Almost seven years ago now, uh, well, it was a little more than seven years, he came to the quartet and said, you know, I've, I've been giving these lectures on sustainability and climate change, and I keep feeling like I need to find a way to reach people a little bit more viscerally, to reach people emotionally, because they're understanding the information, but not really feeling moved by it. And he had this idea, very unformed at that time, that somehow he could use music, live performance, to somehow reach people. Mm. And it was a bit of a circuitous route from there to us agreeing to collaborate with him and actually commissioning a new piece of music, a string quartet by uh, New York-based composer Laura Kaminsky, which became the centerpiece of this uh, performance project. We sometimes refer refer to it as performance science, um, maybe a more 
common term for it would be it's, it's a multidisciplinary performance. Um, of course, there's spoken word with the physicist. We perform that original quartet as well as movements by Haydn and Janacek. There's visuals, representations of artwork. There's wonderful photographs. Um, it sounds exciting to it, attend. It, it is. And it was something that we really did as an experiment. Seven years later, it was officially premiered in the fall of 2012. We've now performed it, I think, close to 40 times in three different countries. And it's become something that's really resonated with people. So, The various things you do from that to chamber workshops, it sounds like that is something that the quartet really wants to do. Yes. That's fulfilling in addition to just being in the, your seats playing music. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's a great privilege to get to do that, too. And there's all this incredible repertoire, and we get to communicate with our audiences that way. But to be able to actually affect some sort of a change on a topic that's bigger than any of us has been immensely satisfying. Thank you to Anne Francis Bayless for speaking with us, also lugging her cello clear over and back. And she's doing it so quietly. You obviously have practice there. Brad Otteson, violist from the Fry Street Quartet. Pleased to be able to speak with you, Brad, for just a minute. I always want to ask violists, and I just remembered this, so I'm going to. Because the viola is bigger than the violin, does anyone start with the viola? Or do most violists start on violin and then work their way up? I was stealing myself for a viola joke there. Uh, <laughs> I resisted. I yeah, know what a, a few. softball. <laughs> they usually are, you can apply them to either the banjo, the viola, and sometimes percussionists. But <laughs> well, some people do start on the viola. I'm I am actually a true violist myself. Hmm. It came about for a reason. I played the viola because my older brother played the viola, and my older brother played the viola because he was one of the bigger kids in the class, and. So that sort of, I've also got long arms and it was a good fit. And so I actually did start on the viola. Most people do begin on the violin and then they find their true sense of self and <laughs> a love of the C string and, and go ahead and come over to the dark side. And it is kind of warm and dark. It's got actually. such such a human voice. It's really, has, I'm sure as you could hear from Rogers playing, a unique and human and soulful uh, mm. character of its own. We are very pleased to hear two movements now from a Brahms string quintet. A quartet, usually that seems like you can cover the bass note and then you can outline the chord. But when you get to a quintet, it sounds to me like that's an opportunity to add color. Uh, the color is tremendous. This is Brahms at his most mature. He actually had intended this quintet to be his final work. He sent a note to his publisher saying as much. He was going, going to walk away from composing after this. Mm. And you can hear that with five voices, and in particular that fifth voice being another viola, the depth of harmony, the richness of color, and the complexity of, of counterpoint are all things that he, he felt like he could go deeper with those five voices. Well, you've made me very excited to hear this piece. We'll let everyone take their places. We're about to hear the first and second movement of Brahms' string quintet in G major, his opus 111, played by the Fry Street Quartet with special guest violist Roger Chase, coming to you as always live here on Highway 89.
Brahms Quintet in G Major, his Opus 111, the first and second movements, just gorgeous. I know it sounds good on the air, but man, to be here in the room with these excellent players. What a pleasure today to enjoy an hour with the Fry Street Quartet and their special guests, violist Roger Chaste with Michiko Otaki at the piano. A treat to be one of the gathering places for these six musicians as they come together performing concerts throughout the state in performances that have been described as containing elegance and that wonderful chemistry that makes chamber music magical. Well, you heard that for yourself just now. You can find more information on the Fry Street Quartet by visiting frystreetquartet.com, about Roger Chase by visiting rogerchase.com, and about Michiko Otaki by visiting the website of Clayton University. If you just caught part of the show and you'd like to hear the beginning or listen again, share it with a friend. It's easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite, and our producer is Sam Payne. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening.